Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Long Overdue, a Franklin Library podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Carrie. And I'm Andy. And today uh, we are doing a Native American Heritage Month podcast. Uh, Native American Heritage Month is in November every year, so we wanted to highlight uh, some of our favorite books by Native American authors and also preview some newer books uh, that we're excited about and some older books as well. So with that being said, Carrie, why don't you get us started? Okay, I'm going to talk about kind of all different levels of reading here today. So I've got a couple of picture books um, that I'm going to quick uh, just mention. A lot of mine are just going to be mentions because I got a lot to cover. Um, but I'm going to start with kids. Um, there's a couple of picture books that I would highly recommend that um, came out probably um, within 2020, 2021. Um, and the first one you've probably seen, it is quite popular. It's called We Are Water Protectors. And it's by Carol Lindstrom. And the story is inspired by a lot of the Native American activists around the country who are fighting to protect their water supply from things such as oil pipelines or other industry that threatens um, the water supply to their native communities. Um, it's a myth story. So it is about a young girl who is fighting a black snake who has come to destroy the earth and poison her people's water. Um, and it is a, it, the pictures are absolutely beautiful. Um, and the story is very inspiring. Um, it is checked out. It's been checked out quite a bit at our library. So hopefully you could get your hands on it. Um, there are quite a few copies in our system. Um, the second picture book I would like to talk about is fantastic. And if you have ever gone to a powwow or any kind of um, maybe Native American gathering, you have had fry bread. And it is glorious. Um, fry bread is um, a big part of many, many, many different Native American tribes cultures. Um, and the book is called Fry Bread and it's by Kevin Noble Maylard. And it's a beautiful pictures again, and it's kind of sparsely um, narrated. So there's not a ton of words, which is great for the real little ones but it shows different Native American families and how they make their fry bread. Um, and it shows their culture uh, and their society within the context of making this fry bread. Um, it is absolutely beautiful. And at the end, it talks about a lot of the different tribes that were featured in the picture books. It gives information on those different tribes. So those are my two recommendations for the little kiddos. Um, I'm kind of going to skip over those middle grade kids because I didn't come up with anything for them. Um, but I will say Birchbark House by Louise Egrich is amazing. Um, it's much older. I, I think that came out in the 90s. But it is a classic. Um, and I'll be talking about Louise Erdrich in just a minute. Um, she also writes, I think she's more famous for her adult books. Um, she writes for all different levels. I believe she even has picture books, too. Um, so I'm going to talk about a couple of young adult novels. Um, one uh, came out last year, um, and it's called The Firekeeper's Daughter. And it's by Angeline, I hope I say this right, Bully. 
Um, and it is about a 18 year old, a native girl who, um, is about to leave her town to go off to college, but, um, something is keeping her there. She's trying to solve a mystery, um, and expose the corruption within her town. Um, it got like crazy great reviews, uh, when it came out. Um, it's currently checked out from our library as well, um, and uh, I would highly recommend that one. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about I have read, <laughs> and I, I do really, really, really love it. Um, it's called The Marrow Thieves by Sherry Demoline. She writes YA and adult uh, fiction. Um, this, is, oh, this is such a great book. Like, I couldn't put it down, um, and I finally read it after like wanting to read it forever finally sat down and read it. So um, it is a dystopian novel, um, and it takes place in a world where climate change has pretty much destroyed all of the United States and parts of the lower part of Canada. And we're following Frenchie, who's a teenager, and he is running from the government what I assumed it was. They never said it was the government, but he's running from these people who are trying, who are hunting him and other native peoples. And they're hunting them because no one dreams anymore except for native people, indigenous Mm. people. So they're hunting the indigenous people for their bone marrow, which they extricate and give to people that can't dream anymore. Yikes. It's crazy. Is it like a to help them dream again? Yeah. Oh. And so, because everyone is depressed and, like, non-functioning, basically, right? Like, yeah. Except for the Native people who can still dream, and there aren't, obviously, very many of them. We know that there aren't very many Native people in comparison with the rest of the population. They're a very small portion of the population, mm-hmm. so... They're getting hunted and they're taken to these factories. It's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah. this is the, <laughs> the journey of Frenchie. And he, he kind of finds this other group of, it's like a mishmash of kids and adults. And they're trying to get north, like far north up in Canada to the old lands where there are no, these, these hunters don't exist. Right. It was so good. I don't want to give too much away. I'm going to talk about it too much, but um, <laughs> they, they, they do. Um, they do make way, they make progress, right? Mm. And they, they find some people along the way that they're shocked to find alive, um, which is like, oh, I did cry a little bit. Um, but the ending is, is good. It's a positive ending, I will say that. But um, it's a fabulous book. And I definitely think it would appeal to adults as well. But, like, I really do think teens would love this book, especially the dystopian aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I think dystopia is still huge um, with teens. So... Definitely would recommend uh, The Marrow Thieves by Sherry Demoline. But like I said, she does still write adult books as well. And we have this one. I haven't read it, but it's called Empire of Wild. And it came out in 2019. So, like, not too long ago. Um, and I don't know too much about it. Um, but it is... Um, it's based okay, so it's based on the Canadian. I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy this. I think it's Mati 
legend of the Rogaru, a werewolf-like creature that haunts the roads and woods of native people's communities. So that sounds neat. Um, so it's based on a, a legend, um, but I can't really tell you much more than that. But knowing how much I love the Marrow Thieves, like I checked this out so that this can be the next book that I read because <laughs> I really like it. And it seems a little, a little scary, maybe. Maybe not. Um, but it is a fantasy book. Um, but I would check that out if you're looking for a little fantastical read. Um, another adult book uh, that I have not yet read but also have checked out to read is by Tommy Orange. Um, he's become a very... Um, popular native author he was um this book was also it came out in 2018 it's called there there and it was like super highly reviewed um like everybody was giving it like five stars and this one's interesting because it takes place in oakland california and if you read a lot of native fiction it takes place in a lot of it takes place in the midwest but it always seems like it's in small towns so this is actually a book on the lives of urban native people in America. So um, it sounds really interesting. Um, it's about a family, uh, one family, um, and it's a multi-generational tale about this family and their life in Oakland, California. Um, and like I said, it got crazy great reviews. Yeah, I wanted to read that one for a I while. Know. I haven't read it yet yeah, either. But... It's been on my to-read list mm -hmm. for a very long time. Yeah, I was going to say, just looking at the cover, I feel like I've either placeholds on it or helped people find it multiple times. And, like, it's on best best read lists, mm -hmm. like, all the time. Especially the year it came out. I think it's on, like, every, like, best read re to mm -hmm. read list or whatever. Yeah. Um, I just have a couple more. Um, this one I read a couple of maybe like a year ago, and um, I was looking at a list um, of titles by Native women that my friend had sent me, and this one sounded really, really great. It's called In the Night of Memory uh, by Linda Lagarde Grover, and it takes place in Minnesota. Um, a lot of these take place in Minnesota, um, and there are huge um, populations of Native Americans in Minnesota, and uh, like northern Wisconsin, I think mm -hmm. we know that as well. Um, and this is about um, the disappearance of a Native woman, which is a huge problem. Um, indigenous women disappear across this country at a very high rate, and it doesn't get the press that maybe other people of other colors would get. Um, so it's a huge issue in the Native American community. This woman disappeared, and she left behind two little girls. And these little girls go through foster homes, and it's their story. It's not her story. It's really their story. And finally, they do come back to their family. And once they get back to their family, it is then the story of the other women in this family. So hmm. it starts out as um, Loretta is the woman who disappears. It starts out about her. And then it moves on to the two little girls. And then it moves on to the whole, like, kind of history. So it kind of goes back and forth in time a lot. But it's the whole history of the women in this family. And what they've dealt with, um, what they are dealing with, and how they persevere. And I felt, I loved this book. It was really wonderful. It gave me all the feels. All the feels. So I would highly <laughs> recommend that one. 
it is sad, though. Um, and then finally, I just want to mention one other thing. I mentioned Louise Erdrich before. Um, she, like I said, she's probably one of the most famous Native authors we have here in America. She just put out a new book that sounds awesome. Like, I really can't wait to read it. Of course, it's checked out already at our library, and there's holds on it, but you can place a hold, too. Um, it's about a haunted bookshop in Minneapolis. <laughs> it sounds awesome. Um, so on uh, All Souls Day on 29- in 2019, apparently, like, the bookshop's, like, least favorite patron in the whole wide world died and is now haunting it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a ghost story. Uh, and one of the booksellers there, Tookie, she um, she was incarcerated um, for quite a while, and like what got her through was reading books. So when she got out, she got this job at this haunted bookshop, and she's trying to solve the mystery of why this woman died and is haunting the bookshop. Hmm. And it takes place between 2019 All Souls Day and 2020 All Souls Day in Minneapolis. So there was a lot happening in that city at that time, and it also addresses mm-hmm. that as well. So oh, I really okay. can't wait to read that one. And what, what was the title again? The Sentence. Sorry, the I think sentence. I didn't say that. The Sentence. That's all I have. Awesome. Well, thank you yeah. for the very broad uh, <laughs> overview of quite a few books. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Andy, what do you got for us? Um, well, uh, the book that I'm going to talk about today is called Take Us to Your Chief uh, by Drew Hayden Taylor. And it's a book of short stories. Um, and it's a book of native-themed science fiction and speculative short stories. So kind of an interesting mix there. Uh, the author uh, was born and raised on the Curve Lake First Nation in Ontario. So this is a Canadian book, and so there is a little bit of a, um, you know, a noticeable, at least like for the references and things mm-hmm. like that, it's got a little of a Canadian flavor as opposed to um, <laughs> what we would expect with um, an American book. But um, in his intro, he kind of talks about his love of sci-fi from way back when, when he was a kid watching star trek and reading sci-fi comics and novels and he just kind of thought there really isn't much uh native related sci-fi so he decided to write some stories himself he's a um novelist and playwright and also has done uh some journalism as well so he uh put this book together and it's it's mostly a fun book. I mean, there's lots of humor in it Mostly. and uh, references, but there definitely are some, uh, also some elements of uh, Native American life or First Nations life that uh, are not as as pleasant. Um, one of the one of the stories does have a little bit of that. Uh, element that you were just talking about, Carrie, with the uh, disappearance of Native American women. Um, And so, anyway, the first story I was going to talk about is called A Culturally Inappropriate Armageddon. And um, this uh, story centers around three characters who work at a new 
radio station on their reserve, and uh, one of the characters is very adamant about making sure to have uh, native cultural programs in addition to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, more of the dominant culture type programming. And so she does produce a bunch of native-related programs, and at one point, she finds some old records that belong to her grandmother of native songs, and so they digitize them, and they play them over the air. Um, And as we all know from movies and books and science that you know, these radio signals do go out into space. <laughs> and, you know, could where they could be picked up by someone else who is listening. And as it turns out, that's what happens. Someone else was listening. And um, I kind of refer you to the title of the story, uh, Culturally Inappropriate Armageddon. Um, so... The people who are listening decide to pay us a visit here on Earth, and it does not go well for Earth. <laughs> so, no, it really, yeah, it does not not go well. But it's it's a funny story. Uh, but also, you know, there are some elements uh, to it as well that are more serious. Um, and then I'll kind of come back at the end uh, after a couple more stories to to talk about that. The next one uh, that I was going to talk about quickly here is uh, a, the title story, Take Us to Your Chief. Um, and that's, of course, kind of from the cliched sci-fi line of Take Us to Your Leader. That That's what all the aliens used to say when they came to Earth. <laughs> they would find someone. And so this, uh, this one uh, revolves around three uh, friends. They're uh, brothers and, and cousins, actually, who usually spend their days on some old couches down by the lake on their reserve, drinking beer and just kind of hanging out. And one day, a spaceship appears. <laughs> and um, the, uh, the extraterrestrial who comes out of the ship does actually say, basically, take me to your leader. And so they take him to the, uh, the chief who is... Uh, the on their reserve, and um, he's a little bit perplexed about what to do then with this alien because he's like <laughs> wants to kind of like negotiate. Uh, like, do you want us to build some pyramids or <laughs> you know, do some other stuff like that? Or um, so anyway, what he uh, what he finally decides on, kind of using you know his accumulated years of native wisdom and kind of partially, you know, kind of wily politician uh, actions is he decides to send his three nephews, these guys, um, off with the aliens because he thinks they're kind of knuckleheads anyway. So he's just going to send them off with them as ambassadors of the earth. And that's that's what happens. And I uh, won't say anything more about the story, but it's it's... You know, kind of fun. The way he resolves that. Yeah, Yeah, it it was funny. And then, um, you know, the other one that I wanted to talk, or other ones that I wanted to talk about were a little bit more serious themed. Uh, One is called Mr. Gizmo, and it's about a teenage boy who is basically talked down from 
killing himself by his old toy robot who comes to life. And um, his parents are gone. His grandmother has just died. So all he's got left really is his grandfather. And he's very, very depressed. And um, the way that the uh, kind of native themes work into this one is uh, just the belief that everything has a spirit. And these spirits kind of come when he's really at this low point to protect him. And um, it's really a, uh, kind of a moving story, really. It's th- That was good. And then the other one is called Lost in Space, and it's about a native astro-surveyor who is out in his uh, ship out in space, out alone there, and he gets a message that he or his uh, grandfather has passed away, and he is comforted by the... Uh, his ship's AI, who does some nice things for him to <laughs> to make him feel better uh, after receiving this sad news. So, so yeah. So the 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 combination of the native beliefs and religion and traditions and the sci-fi elements really make for you know kind of a powerful and effective mix and really unique too. Yeah, um, yeah I was gonna say that this is like it sounds like the stories are very unique because they. Um, they really, you know, some of them do have, you know, do reflect, you know, some of the harsh realities of Native life, but also with those fantastical elements really makes it very interesting. And then also the, the first two stories that I, was t- that I was talking about also kind of really had that theme of first contact, you know, kind of paralleling, you know, these, uh, this contact with aliens with first contact between native peoples and people from you know outside of uh well europe basically let's just say that colonizers yeah yeah Yeah. so there is kind of a parallel drawn between that too which i also thought was was very interesting um so yeah so i would definitely recommend this book it's actually very short we do have it here at franklin and there are copies at some of the other libraries in our system too, so it's pretty accessible. Like I said, it's from a few years ago, so not you know, it's pretty pretty easy to get a hold of. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, neat. yeah, I, that... I would read that. I'm not only short stories, and you all know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like that's fun. Yeah, we're coming around. We're we're making you like short no, you're not, stories. But I'm just saying <laughs> this would be something I would try. All right, so I got a couple books to chat about, but first I want to bring up something. So when we were talking about like planning for this podcast, we knew we wanted to do a Native American Heritage Month podcast. The first book that came to mind was one that we have talked about. This will now be the fourth podcast. I was gonna say how many podcasts now? I was gonna <laughs> the last year. Yeah, I was thinking about starting off by like, just saying this story is about. <laughs> Uh, it is uh, Stephen Graham Jones's book, um, "Only the er, the Only Good Indians," um, and we were kind of joking around <laughs> about it because we have talked about it multiple times. Um, we all really like it, but we all feel vindicated because it has won a bunch of awards. Mm-hmm. It has won the Ray Bradbury Prize for science fiction, fantasy, and speculative fiction. The Bram Stoker Award, which is like That's excellence in horror, 
Um, the Alex Award, which is um, like an award for uh, books for like young adults between like 12 and 18, I think is the range they give. Um, and the Mark Twain Award, which is given to um, the work of fiction that best exemplifies or expresses a uniquely American voice. Um, it's also been nominated for a few, but hasn't won. And it is currently nominated for World Fantasy Book Award for Best Novel. Mm. Um, so we don't know the result of that one yet, so it might get another accolade <laughs> listed on it. Um, so it, it always makes us feel like we're yes. doing our good job. So thank you to Andy for introducing <laughs> the entire library and all of Franklin now. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that, that they did. They, I think they did announce that World Fantasy Awards. Oh, um, oh really? And it it didn't. Win it didn't win that one. Okay. So. Uh, it will, it's incredible. He's an incredible author. Yeah, and, and he's like super hot right now too. When I was looking, um, up information about that, kind of looking at like after I saw that he had just won the Mark Twain Award. Um, He's written over 22 books. Yeah. Were a lot of them and short story books? Did he do a lot of short story stuff before he did Only Good Indians? Um, there are, I think, quite a few short story collections. I feel like um, that is a common pathway yeah. for um, some writers. I think um, especially in, like, sci-fi or horror, that's, like, a... Yeah, and a lot of, and I don't know... Um, yeah, he, did, he has he a Master work. of Arts in English. I feel like if you have, if you go to like a Master of Arts or an MFA program, Master of Fine Arts program, um, you write a lot of short stories and transition out of it because short stories don't sell, novels do. Um, because people don't like short stories, people. Yes, but Come they on. should like. <laughs> I would imagine it's easier to grade short stories yeah. for the instructors and like. Yes. Such so. so. And you need to write a novel in, what, how long is a semester? Three months? <laughs> Something like that. Like... <laughs> Not that long. No. Um, so, I just wanted to bring that up quick. Um, yeah, he didn't win yeah. that World Fantasy okay. Award. But what won the World Fantasy Award, just out of curiosity? Trouble the Saints by Alaya Don Johnson. Hmm. I've heard of it. I think we have it. I've heard of her. I'm pretty sure we have it. <laughs> yeah, and there were a couple of other books that were pretty, yeah, we do. pretty well known. Also, that were nominated for that as well. So. Yeah. Oh, in yeah. Addition to the yeah, looking Indians. at that list right now, there are a couple that. Ooh. Um, oh, I wanted to yeah. read Mexican Gothic. Yeah, Mexican Gothic. I've read a different book by Silvia Moreno Garcia, um, "Gods of Jade and Shadow," I believe, mm-hmm. um, and then. Um, the novella Ring Shout, which you yes. had talked about, great, great um, book. It was nominated. So they considered that a novella, huh? Yes. It was really short, but I. Okay, that was a great. Yeah. Book. I'm a librarian. I still don't know what classifies a novella. I think so. it's like under a hundred. Pa- I always think like under a hundred pages, <laughs> but that kinda, was more than a hundred pages. I think that's kind of the general rule. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Nobody knows. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> Um, so I do have one book that I'm, uh, still working my way through a little bit. Um, but first I want to talk about some that I'm, uh, have ordered. I'm just waiting for them to get into the library. Um, they've all been published either in, um, 
2020 or 2021. Um, I think one might be a reprint uh, updated copy. Um, but the first one is Why We Serve by Alexandra Harris. And it is a look into Native Americans serving in the U.S. Armed Forces. Um, so that's um, a very interesting history um, and a deep history um, with Native Americans serving in U.S. Armed Forces um, throughout very, several wars and conflicts. Um, so that looks like a fascinating nonfiction book. Um, there is a not- uh, Notable Native People by Adrian Keene. Um, I feel like this has been a theme, and probably for a while, but definitely the last couple years, um, that it's just a collection of short biographies of notable people who fall into certain classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like there have been in the last, I don't know, five to ten years, um, books on like notable American women, notable African Americans, um, notable athletes, things like that, where it's, um, I think this one is 50 uh, different people, and it's a short biography of who they are, um, their historical relevance, and kind of what they did. Um, so that one looks very interesting, too. Um, and then I believe these next two are both uh, biographies, yeah. One is Poet Warrior by Joe Joy Harjo and Dog Flowers by Danielle Geller. Um, so those are just a couple newer books um, that I'm just waiting for them to get into the library. Um, and they all look uh, really interesting. Uh, but the one I wanted to talk about today is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, and this was published in 2013, but it has had a resurgence um, within the last year or two. And we... Don't for sure know why it got super popular, but I I think it got a reprinting, and tons of people have been requesting it. Um, The only thing I can find is that it was a global read, um, which is kind of like a big book club. Um, Sometimes states do these. Um, I think the um, American Library Association sponsors like a big read um, where libraries can purchase like several copies of one book and then it's like one nationwide book club um so that's kind of what the global read also is um but the book title is breeding sweetgrass indigenous wisdom scientific knowledge and the teachings of plants um and i mean that's the best summary (laughs) of it Uh, they're very short um stories of uh her life and her work Um, So she is a Native American, and she's a citizen of Potawatomi Nation. Um, But she also um, is a biologist, and she actually got her uh, master's and Ph.D. from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So she has a very interesting perspective where she grew up in a Native American household and knew all the Native American... Uh, like origin stories and um, how they respect the earth and plants and animals. But she also then knows the scientific side of it. Um, So in each of these stories, they're kind of those two forces that play with each other. Um, And the the theme throughout many of them is if you respect the land or animals, 
the land and animals will respect you and you sustain each other. Um, and there have been many uh, different stories. One example is she talks about um, salmon migrations and how those then migrating salmon helped the plants that were growing on like the sides and in the river. Um, but when agriculture came to those areas, they um, ruined all the estuaries, which are kind of the feeder rivers in between the saltwater ocean and the freshwater lakes and streams, um, which um, killed off a lot of the salmon because they couldn't transition slowly from freshwater to saltwater. Um, they also lost breeding grounds, things like that. Um, and now there's been efforts to um, like rehabilitate the lands. Um, so things uh, like that. Another one um, that comes from the title um, is about sweetgrass, um, which is a plant um, that a lot of Native American cultures um, uh, think of as like the first plant and the like origin story of it and why they braid it into baskets is because um, it's so important to them. It's like braiding their grandmother's hair is like the thing that she says. So it's a sign of respect and a sign of um, care to the plant. Um, and she talks about going out into the field with other Native Americans and watching them pick the sweetgrass and they make an offering of tobacco. And some of them pick it very gently and pull up um, only a few stalks and some rip out the whole plant from the roots. And so she asked an elder, like, is that okay? Like, isn't that hurting the plant? Isn't that hurting the population? And the elder just kind of said, you know, people do it their own ways. Um, so being a biologist, <laughs> like, I don't accept that answer. she got one of her, um, I think it was a PhD student to actually study this. And so in the Native American, um, like cultures, um, there's a big, uh, theme of you only take what you need and never more than half of what is there. So when they pull sweetgrass, they don't clean out a whole area. They pull plants from different areas um, so there aren't any large empty patches. Um, so she was wondering if that makes any difference. And she talks about um, when her student was talking to the PhD board about, like, this is my proposal... And they were all kind of skeptical, and they said, well, pulling any plants hurts the population. Um, so they were discouraged, but they ran the study anyway, and they had a control group where they did nothing. They didn't pull anything. They didn't do anything to it. They had uh, one group where they ripped the plants out, roots and all, and then they had a third group where they um, gently pulled plants. Um, and left the roots. And, yeah, and um, I, I don't know if it was necessarily left the roots, but instead of uprooting the whole plant, they just plucked parts of it okay. um, instead of, like, the whole thing and upsetting maybe the other roots and um, uh, other plants around it. Um, so they did this study for two years, gauged all of it, and they found that the pulling method didn't matter as long as you harvested some of it. And both the, um, she always says, like, the violent uprooting <laughs> um, and the gentler method um, had 
thriving populations of sweetgrass. They had the best um, yields, and the population was healthier, and the control group um, actually suffered and was less, less healthy than when they started because there was nobody pulling it. Um, so it's basically scientific evidence that Native American like ways of harvesting are rooted in science, whether they actually knew that or not, mm-hmm. but what they were doing did actually work. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, another one they talk about is the myth of the three sisters, um, which oh, yes. is a gardening thing. Yes, and, it's uh, corn, beans, and squash, right? Yes. yes. And they all um, feed off of each other, so you plant the corn, it grows up quickly, and then the beans have something to wrap themselves around on and use that as um, pole. yeah their pole to have a structure. Um, and then the squash leaves out. Um, and the way those three plants interact is they're not stealing any nutrients from each other. Um, and they all give and take different nutrients from the soil. Um, so they help each other thrive more than if you planted them on their own. Um, and there's a big mythos of that the three sisters were actual beings. Um, and so it's, it's a really fascinating read. It, it's long. I'm listening to the audiobook, and she reads it, which I love when authors read their yeah. own books. Um, and I highly recommend it, even if you don't finish it all, to at least listen mm-hmm. or, or read parts of it, um, because it's really beautifully written, and it it just combines that Native American teachings and the like more modern um, biological science of plants and animals and humans interacting. Yeah, that sounds really good. I've yeah. known like like I was telling Sam. I think I've known like three or four people who have recently just read it. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my god, it's the best book ever. Yeah. So, yeah. Two thumbs up from all the people on Facebook that have read it. <laughs> <laughs> and two thumbs up from me. Yeah. Alright, well, that's all I had. Does anyone else have any other parting I thoughts? can think of more books, but I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, thank you all for listening. Um, we're really excited to do this Native American Heritage Month podcast, and we hope you pick up a book or two Um, that we talked about and learn a little bit more. Um, And as always, we'll have everything we talked about in our show notes. um, So you can go and just read through those titles and find what you like. Um, All right. We will see you next time. Thanks again for listening.